What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. This Sunday begins what is called by some Holy Week. And it is called this because it is the culmination of a 40-day fast, or what we call, or some call, Lent. L-E-N-T. It began with what is called by some Ash Wednesday. And that began 40 days except not counting on Sundays. 40 days but leading up before Easter. Where some gather together for a special service on a Wednesday morning or evening. And they place ashes on their forehead to partake in a period of fasting or abstinence. In imitation of Christ's fasting in the wilderness prior to his public ministry. Some suggest this was formalized either in the 300s or 400s A.D. Some also suggest it was a time of preparation for those who were candidates to be baptized and those who were seeking penance for grieving over their sin who were excluded for partaking in communion and they were seeking restoration. It's interesting, maybe you've partake, partaken in what is called Lent or maybe you have not. There's a, a list of things that people will try to encourage you to get involved in. And, and listen to this. Some say that if you're going to partake in Lent, you should, number one, don't buy anything you don't need. Number two, throw away 40 things for 40 days. Now, surely we could all do that. We have many things in our closets that we haven't worn in 500 years. Um, it seems like 500 years at least, and we should just throw it away. Number three, 40 days of home organization. Number four, this is actually one good thing on here that's actually really good. No gossiping. Number five, work out daily to take care of the body God gave you. Number six, don't eat after dinner. <laughs> Number seven, give up soda. Number eight, say three nice things to your spouse and kids daily. It's a pretty good thing to do. Number nine, don't eat out for 40 days. With the high price of food these days, that's a good idea. And number 10, this is probably my favorite one and probably the most notable one on this list. Replace 30 minutes of TV or screen time with 30 extra minutes of devotion and prayer time. Today, I'm not here to tell you you should partake in Lent. And I'm not here to tell you you should not partake in Lent. But I want to just briefly, before we dive into our passage here, to tell you three problems I have with Lent. The first problem I have with it is it's nowhere found in Scripture. In fact, there's not one time the word Lent, L-E-N-T, is mentioned in the New Testament, nor the Old Testament. In fact, it's not observed anywhere from Matthew all the way to Revelation. Not one time does Jesus command us to be involved in Lent. So the major problem I have with participating in what is called Lent is you just can't find it in Scripture. And I'm exactly like what Martin Luther did. He said, sola scriptura. That's Latin for Scripture alone. And if Scripture is going to be our final authority in all things, then surely we should only observe what it commands us to observe. The second reason, or my second beef with Lent, is it misunderstands fasting. 
today, if you think you're more spiritual by giving up soda for 40 days, hats off to you, but you're not more spiritual. If you think you're more spiritual today by simply throwing 40 items in your closet away for 40 days, my friends, I'm sorry to, to be the bearer of bad news, but that does not make you more spiritual in your walk with Jesus. In fact, if you want to abstain from social media for 40 days, that's a good thing. And, and you could call it fasting, but it's not fasting from the biblical definition of fasting. You see, every example in the Bible. Now, remember, the, the Bible is our final authority. We have to understand that fasting in the Bible means you're going to abstain from food and or water for a period of time. So let's keep it in mind here. Uh, a time of abstinence of the preparation of a meal. In our, our day and time, it takes us very little time to prepare a meal. It would be abstaining from not just the preparation of a meal, but the consumption of the meal. So you would take, they would take hours in the ancient world preparing that food to eat. And then they would consume that meal. And then it would be abstaining from the association of the meal. And so that would mean that, that we are going to abstain from gathering together with our friends and family around the table to eat. And then it would give the idea of abstaining from the sanitation after the meal. So you prepare the food, you eat the food, you fellowship with people around the food, and then you clean up all the dishes. Fasting in a biblical sense is abstaining from that. And instead of partake, partaking in eating and fellowshipping and all those particulars, you're going to spend time worshiping God through prayer, Bible reading, Bible study, or gathering together with God's people to worship. Then thirdly and finally, my third problem with Lent is the early church did not practice it. I've read through the book of Acts. I have more times than I can count. And I have yet to find any time where the early church, right after the days of Jesus, where they practiced Lent. You say, well, why in the world are you talking about Lent today? What does it have to do? with our passage. It has everything to do with our passage within the umbrella of Christianity because as we come to Matthew chapter 21, this is the final week in the life of Christ and leading up to the final week of Lent. So today I want you to know that if you're participating in Lent, I have mad respect for you, but you cannot demand me or anybody else to partake in it because it is not commanded to do so in Scripture. Now, all that being said, the title of my message today is The Triumphal Entry of Christ. The triumphal entry of Christ. This is a time in the life of Christ prior to his death, prior to his resurrection, prior to his ascension, and prior to his descension, where we observe that Jesus is going around prior here delivering his credentials, that he's exactly who he said he was, the Son of God. And so today as we come to this chapter, it is not the culmination of the period of Lent. It is the time when Jesus is delivering a message to the world. And my key thought today is the message to the world that Jesus delivered. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, he publicly declared to be the Messiah and King of Israel. That is the takeaway thought for today's message. If you walk away with anything from this passage and my sermon, this is the thought that you need to leave with today. What does these 11 verses mean? Why is it important? Well, it's important because it reveals to us that here Jesus is going around healing and raising the dead and, and giving sight to those who couldn't see and giving ears to those who couldn't hear and doing all of these particulars so that he could declare, I am Messiah and I am King of Israel. There is nobody else. 
And so the key question I want to ask and answer today is this. What did Christ's triumphal entry bring to this world? As we look in these 11 verses, I want you to take note here that there are times in the Gospels where events are paralleled by some of the Gospel writers. And then sometimes only one of the Gospel writers writes about it. But then there are times where all four of the writers speak about an event. And it's interesting, this is one of the few events that all of the writers speak about. In Matthew chapter 21, in Mark chapter 11, in Luke chapter 19, in John chapter 12, we read about the triumphal entry of Christ coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now that being said, the first of three thoughts I want to share with you today is from verses 1 through 3 and 6 and 8. The triumphal entry of Christ brought peace to this world. What did it bring? It brings peace. The triumphal entry of Christ brought peace to this world. I'm talking about peace that you could only experience through Jesus. Here, look at verse number one. The Bible says, now remember, he's going through all his ministry. He's building up a resume, if you will, or a list of credentials. He never said he was, he never specifically said, I am God incarnate. He didn't say those exact words. But The way that he lived his life revealed that he was God incarnate. He never actually declared that he was the exact phrase, I am the promised Messiah the prophet spoke about. He didn't say those exact words, but there are times in the New Testament where it reveals to us that he was the Messiah. Sometimes he said, I am he. I am the one. And here in Matthew chapter 21, it's leading up. He's he's traveling around. And as he was doing all these miracles, what we observe in his life is is he was a celebrity of celebrities of his day. He had a mass of crowds following him, tens of thousands of people following him around from city to city, village to village, watching him do all these miraculous things. And sure enough, there's a crowd following him even to this moment. And in verse 1, the Bible speaks about how he draws nigh to Jerusalem. And in other parallel accounts, it speaks about how he goes up to Jerusalem. And if you've ever been to Israel or if you've ever looked at Israel on a map, you know that Israel sits and Jerusalem sits on top of a mountain. So he's literally climbing a mountain, walking up the mountain to come to Jerusalem. And he was there on going to the Mount of Olives. And he sends two of his disciples to go and, and to a village and, and to find this donkey and, and a colt uh, there to loose them. And if he says, if anybody says to you, why are you doing this? Say, say to them, the Lord has need of them. And he promised straightway they will give to you. Now look at verses 6, 7, and 8. The Bible speaks about how the disciples go and And they do these things that Jesus commanded, and they bring him the donkey, and they bring him all these things. And the Bible says in verse number 8, a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. So here's a picture, if you would. I'm envisioning here, we don't know exactly how many was here, but I'm literally envisioning tens of thousands of people. And some have even suggested perhaps over 100,000 or a couple hundred thousand people present in this moment. I don't know. But what I do know is probably tens of thousands were gathered around watching this person come. He was revealing that he is the king of Israel. He's revealing that I am am Messiah by his works and what he did. Remember when the disciples go and question 
People come and question John the Baptist, and, or excuse me, John the Baptist sent people questioning Jesus, are you the one who is predicted to come? He says, tell them all these things that, this, that I'm doing, and then he'll know. And so his works revealed that he's Messiah. His works revealed that he is the king of Israel. And now we know that this Messiah would bring peace to the world. But it wasn't quite the peace they were looking for. It wasn't quite the peace that they were going to have or desiring from Rome. We know that one day Jesus will return again. And this is probably the main reason why many of the Jewish people didn't recognize him as Messiah. is because they, they didn't realize that there would be two comings. There would be a first coming where the Messiah would come and live a sinless life. And give his life a ransom for, for, for the sins of humanity. And then he would die and be resurrected and ascend up to glory. But then he would come back again and bring that peace of millennium and reign. And here I believe that they were looking for a warrior to come marching in on a white horse. Whereas Jesus comes on a donkey. Symbolizing peace. Bringing peace to the world. And I believe that when Jesus was marching in and riding in on that donkey, he was literally telling the world, if you want peace, you can't find it in Rome. You can only find it in me. And so today, my friends, if you're seeking peace by being an American citizen, uh, I'm sorry to tell you, you're not going to find peace living in, in the home of the brave and the land of the free. We love this nation, but living in this nation does not mean that you're going to live in heaven for all eternity. I say that with great respect, but also with great conviction. If you think peace is having a career or choosing a career path in America... Or, or doing all sorts of things. Listen, that is not where you're going to find peace. Peace is only found in the Prince of Peace, and his name is Jesus. Remember when Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, he publicly and openly declared. I thought about calling the sermon the day Jesus came out of the closet. Because he was coming out of the closet and saying, I am Messiah, I am King of Israel by riding on the donkey that day. So in a sense, this was the day that Jesus openly came out of the closet revealing he's exactly who he declared to be through his works. But then secondly, I want to draw your attention to verses 4 and 5. In verses 4 and 5, we see the second thought. The triumphal entry of Christ not only brought peace to this world, but secondly today, brought hope to this world. The triumphal entry of Christ brought hope to this world. Look at verse 4. The Bible says that when Jesus commanded his two disciples to go and get those animals and bring them, it says that all this was done that it might be fulfilled by the prophet. And in verse 5, we see a quotation of the prophet, Zechariah. I'd ask you to turn there, but it might be a little dusty and you may not know quite where it is. But it's just a couple books back. If you know where it is, you're welcome to turn to Zechariah chapter 9. The last two books of the Bible are Zechariah and Malachi. So it shouldn't be too hard for you to find. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, before I read this, I want you to be mindful of that when Zechariah was preaching, he was preaching with great prophecy, with great conviction that the Messiah would come. And oftentimes he's speaking about the millennium and speaking about all these different things. But he also, in the midst of all those future events, he's also predicting about the Messiah's death. And then here, he's predicting about how the Messiah would, would come into Jerusalem. And look at Zechariah 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto thee. He is just, having salvation. Lowly and riding upon an ass or a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Literally, almost an exact quotation from the book of Matthew to Zechariah 9, verse 9. It's interesting. As we, what kind of hope did he bring? He brought hope to those Jews, the crowds that were following him, that he was the promised Messiah. And they knew that this promised Messiah would eventually reign. They knew, remember, when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives with the disciples, they say, what are the signs of your coming? And, and many of them ask, are you going to return again? What will be the signs of all those different things? He brings hope. Rome can never bring hope like this. Rome might have offered a lot of things to the people of the, their day, but Rome could never bring the hope found in Jesus Christ. In fact, this passage goes on. Look at verse number nine. It speaks about a quotation from Zechariah, but in verse, in verse five, but in verse number nine, there's a quotation from another prophet. An unlock, unlikely prophet. But the psalmist. Listen to the words of Matthew 21, verse 9. And the multitudes that went before and that followed, they cried, Hosanna to the son of David. Let's pause right there. This is speaking about the lineage of the household of David. How Jesus would be of that tribe and that stock, that lineage. His genealogy, you could trace it back to David. That would reveal that he was royal, of royal lineage. Of royal lineage, excuse me. And how he had the royal right to the throne in Jerusalem. But then they said, they said, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna, it literally means, oh, save. And so they're literally declaring, oh, save. Oh, bring salvation. Oh, bring deliverance. I love this. It says, Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But, no, but take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 118. This psalm is a psalm that we don't know who exactly who wrote this psalm. The Bible doesn't specifically say, so it's hard to be dogmatic. But what we do know is this psalm speaks about how it's better to trust in the Lord than to put a confidence in man. How it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Whenever you put your confidence and your hope in a man, they will always let you down. If you put your hope in me, I will surely let you down nearly every day of your life. And listen, before we go any further, if I put my hope in you, I know you're going to let me down likewise. But if you try to put your hope in politics or a politician, you will be let down. If you try to put your hope in an athlete or a musician or a, or, or a celebrity, you will be let down. But there's only one being that you can put your hope in and never be let down in his name is Jesus. And in Psalms uh, number 118 and verse number 25 and 26, it says, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. And then he says, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Almost a direct quotation from Matthew to the psalmist. And he says, We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. We see Matthew as he's writing his gospel. He's keeping in mind of the Old Testament. How the Old Testament told us about the future hope of Messiah. But then he's writing about how he literally saw the living hope of Jesus Christ as Messiah. So today my question for you is this. Have you experienced the living hope found in Jesus Christ? If you haven't, 
You need the hope found in him. What did Christ's triumphal entry bring to this world? Well, it brought peace. It brought hope. But remember, when Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, he publicly declared to be the Messiah and the King of Israel. But now I want to share with you thirdly and finally from verses 10 and 11. What else could he bring? What else could this Messiah, what else could this King of Israel bring to this world that they could not have in any other means? Only him could we find peace. Only him could we find hope. And the same is told for those who lived in his day. But thirdly, today, from verses 10 and 11, the triumphal entry of Christ brought deliverance to this world. The triumphal entry of Christ brought deliverance to this world. Look at verse number 10. This is powerful right here. It says, when he was come into Jerusalem, so imagine he's on this animal, marching in, they took, the disciples took their garments and they put the garments over the animal so that Jesus could get on the animal and sit comfortably. And then as he's going into Jerusalem, they put their garments on the ground and then they're waving these branches of palm leaves there. And, and then just imagine in your mind all this going on, people waving the branches, the, the donkey carrying Jesus marching in, and then people shouting Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. And then verse 10 says, when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved. Now this word moved, it literally gives the idea that it was like an earthquake that shook the area. And let me just tell you something. When Jesus steps into your life, your life will be shaken to the core. Jesus, if you think that great earthquake of California in the 90s was bad, listen, when Jesus steps into your life, he will shake your life greater in such a way that our world has ever seen. And today, if you've never been shaken by the power of the gospel, today's the day that you need to be shaken by it. Today, as these Jewish people and all the people there were, were, were celebrating Jesus, as Brother Matthew said just moments ago, Just days later, they will be shouting another message. Today, as we see here on this Palm Sunday, they were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Because they thought this was the one who was going to come and be the king to overthrow Rome. And that's where they messed up. They thought that he would come in and overtake Caesar. And, and they would have a, a big throne like David and Solomon and the others. And restore the kingdom that they once had. But now in a sense was in ruins. And Rome was in charge of their jurisdiction. It says here that the city was moved. They were shaken as they watched this so-called son of God come in. And they said, who is this? In verse 11, the Bible says the multitude. Remember, this could be tens of thousands of people. The multitude cried out, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Remember, they said, could any good thing come out of Nazareth? Remember, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. 
And so if they studied his life, many of them said, well, he's from Nazareth. Well, not necessarily, not, not fully true. He's actually from Bethlehem, and he grew up in Nazareth after they took a journey of about two years to go down to Egypt, and he comes back and they reside in Nazareth. And there, we, if they literally analyze his life in greater detail, they'd realize that, wow, Micah the prophet spoke about how the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They would speak, they would learn about what the other prophets said. And here, in this scene, they cry, Hosanna. But in another scene, they cry, crucify. So what is he coming to deliver? If he's not going to come to deliver the world from the Jews from Rome, what is he coming to deliver people from? I'm glad you asked today. It's very simple. Jesus did not come to deliver us from uh, tyrannical authorities. Jesus came to deliver us from sin and death and hell and the grave. And he is alone is able to give us that deliverance. And that's why we have peace through him. And that's why we have hope through him. But notice Luke's gospel in chapter 19. You don't need to turn there, but just listen. And Luke chapter 19 is a parallel account of the events uh, that we're reading of in Matthew chapter 21. And it's interesting. The Bible speaks about how they're there on uh, the whole multitude and they're all praising him and giving him praise and saying, blessed is, blessed be the king that comes quoting back from the Old Testament. But then the Bible says that, that some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said to him, master, rebuke your disciples. And he said, he answered and said, I tell you, that if these should hold their peace, as Brother Dave shared earlier, the stones would immediately cry out. Then, in fact, that's a quotation from a backup chapter two, just footnote there, how Jesus has in his mind the prophet Habakkuk, and he's speaking about how the rocks would cry out even if people wouldn't cry out. So just imagine here, if the people on this earth will not worship Jesus Christ, then the rocks that are in the driveway will. The rocks that are in the mountains will. The rocks that are in the oceans will. In other words, the creation itself is going to exclaim worship to Hosanna, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then in John chapter 12, I actually like John's words. He speaks about how after all that was done, the disciples, in a sense, in John chapter 12, verse 16, the disciples forgot about the things he said and done. He's like you and me, a little forgetful at times. They were. And so the Bible speaks about how after all these things took place, then later on, after they witnessed the gruesome fatality of his life, they were remem reminded of what took place. Listen to these words. These things understood not... They didn't understand. They kind of forgot. They, un they didn't understand at times. And there's many times as we analyze the life of Christ in the Gospels, we don't fully understand. But then when God steps in and shows the light of the truth, we will understand. And so at first they didn't understand. And they were forgetful at times, remembering back what went on. But then when Jesus was glorified, the Bible says, Then remembered they these things that were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. Then the people, therefore, that was with them, when he called Lazarus out of the grave, remember, prior to this event of him going into Jerusalem, he called Lazarus' name, and Lazarus came forth. And there was a multitude following him from that place. And then, 
The Bible says in verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, perceive ye how long ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. In other words, they're saying the whole world is following this man. To them, it was like the whole world when you have tens of thousands of people following him, literally following him. But my friends, Jesus, I say this respectfully, did not come to deliver us from people like Putin in Russia. Jesus did not come to deliver us from people like Caesar in Rome. Jesus came to deliver us from the power of sin, from the power of the grave, from the power of darkness, and from the power of hell. As I think about this triumphal entry, and every Palm Sunday I'm reminded about how Jesus came humbly and meek into Jerusalem on a donkey representing peace. But one day, he's going to ride another animal. And it won't be a donkey symbolizing peace. It will be a white horse symbolizing war against the enemy of God in the age to come. Today's scripture teaches us, yes, that Jesus did come in to Jerusalem on a donkey, and he did. And we celebrate that today on this Palm Sunday. But scripture also teaches Christ will return personally. He will appear as the Son of Man. He will return literally and visibly in every eye in heaven and on earth will see him. He will come suddenly and dramatically. He will come on the clouds of heaven. He will come in full display of glory. He will come with his mighty angels. He will come with his bride, the church. He will return on the Mount of Olives where he left. And he will return in triumph and victory riding a white horse. That's the type of person they wanted to see in Matthew chapter 21, but they forgot that the prophet Zechariah and the other prophets preached about how the Messiah would first come on a donkey with peace, offering salvation to the world. But the next time he comes, he comes not offering salvation to the world, but offering his just condemnation to an unrepentant Christ-rejecting, unbelieving world. When Christ entered Jerusalem on a donkey, he publicly and openly declared he was Messiah and King of Israel. But my question for us all today is this. Even though he publicly and openly declared that through his works and what he did, my question for you is this. Is Jesus your Messiah? Is Jesus your king, the king that reigns supreme on your heart? And is he your Lord? And is he your Savior? This, my friends, is the triumphal entry of Christ. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna
I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.